Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. I can't lose my virginity after a lunch at Shake Shack. I think cold turkey is my breakup spirit animal. And I go by Carrie now. Not a great time for white women named Karen. Hello, everyone. This is And Just Like That, The Writer's Room, the official companion podcast of And Just Like That from Max. I'm Michael Patrick King, writer, director, and executive producer of And Just Like That. And I'm here with writer and consulting producer Susan Fales-Hill. Hello, everyone. And executive producer and writer Elisa Zaritsky. Hello. And joining this week's discussion, we have all the way from sunny, sunny L.A., welcome to the Writer's Room podcast, a member of our writing room, the wonderful Rachel Palmer. Hello, hello, hello. You know, sometimes everything works out. In this situation, a writing room sometimes serves as a sort of a beehive and it creates new ideas. And when it really works well, it creates new members of the team. And that happened this season within Just Like That. Rachel Palmer, I've known for many years. I first met Rachel as uh, the writer's assistant on Two Broke Girls. And she's a brilliant mind. And then she was promoted to writer on Two Broke Girls. So I said, Rachel, would you write an episode of the season with me this year? And it was so thrilling for me personally. Uh, it was amazing for me as well. So this is episode six entitled Bomb Cyclone. Now the title is Perfection. And the title came to us from Elisa. Oh, well, thank you. It presented itself very naturally because we were talking about it so much in the script, in your script, so... It was based around um, a snowstorm, yes. but I have to say, Elisa has that thing. She has that very unique thing where she can sometimes just zero in on one specific thing that is perfection. And when she said bomb cyclone, which is really about... The episode's about a lot of people's worlds blowing up. A bomb hits them emotionally, and a bomb snowstorm hits the city. It's such a, I just want to say one thing about bomb cyclone, that the expression, I feel like we, when we were all growing up, bomb cyclones didn't exist, right? Like this is a very new Hello, global polar warming. vortex yeah. bomb cyclone. So it's, it's just such a funny, it's, it's a so, funny and weird expression that is now in our vocabulary. Yeah, so. it's very dramatic as the world has become even more dramatic. It yes. used to be a blizzard or a snowstorm. <laughs> it also, <laughs> unfortunately, it also connotates a certain production demand, which is if you're naming an episode Bomb Cyclone and you're saying that it's going to be a bomb cyclone, production-wise has to then fulfill Bomb Cyclone. City shut down, empty streets filled with snow. And that is particularly a, a tribute to John Melfi, who's our producer, who created the reality of the bomb cyclone on many different days and stages for us. Well, and didn't we at one point consider doing it actually out of doors because we were, it was winter. Yeah. Well, and, there were uh, some, I mean, there were so many pieces. Some of them are outdoors. Some of them are in a giant Yeah. Unfortunately, studio. it never participated winter on winter action for no, us. Right. <laughs> when, when Charlotte goes to the drugstore, that is actually in the city, but they had to snow an entire block. And that was in, I believe... End of March, yeah. early April. Yeah. yeah, right. So people were freaking out walking yeah. down the street and seeing, first no. of all, <laughs> no, they freak out when they see any of the actors in real life in New York. And to see Charlotte walking down a snow stream in the middle of April was weird. And just like that, has his own <laughs> weather and ecosystem. So everything starts usually with the Carrie story. This is the introduction of Here Comes Aiden. So the idea of exes is all through this episode. And we had written many episodes about exes. But what I think is particularly funny and interesting about Carrie's story 
is that we have basically, because of her ex who died, she has written a book about being a widow. So we wanted to also honor what writing a book is. Susan, you know a lot about that. And what that entails in terms of marketing and And the promotion afterwards. You're hawking it for months. So So we came up with this idea of a conference of widows, WidowCon. And last year, uh, Amanda, who plays Carrie's publisher, Ashley plays Amanda, said a line that we took out of the episode, which was, you will be their widow queen goddess. Goddess. You will be their widow goddess. And that sort of was taken out because we knew we couldn't really do it justice. So this was our episode to do Widow Goddess. Right. We we were talking last year about Carrie being an influencer, you know, becoming like a grief influencer and how funny, what a darkly funny idea that was. So we decided to, you know, set that in motion this season with WidowCon. And, you know, because everything's a con now, you know, you know, Comic-Con, <laughs> WidowCon, everything's a con. So we thought that was the irreverent way in. And the other thing that I loved and was so delighted by, because, you know, sometimes when you write scripts together, you write them separately. You write a scene, I write a scene, you write a scene, I write a scene, and they come together. So Rachel hands me the script that she's been working on, and it has Carrie Bradshaw's ex-writing partner, Carrie with a K. And Carrie with a K, we were lucky enough to have her played by the fantastic Rachel Dratch. And sometimes you're just so delighted by something you didn't know was coming. (laughs) As a writing partner, as a showrunner, suddenly somebody takes a swing, which Rachel took a swing. I'm Carrie with a K. (laughs) And she was. She has to explain why she had changed her name. Why did she do that, Rachel? (laughs) Um, because it's not a great time for white women named Karen. <laughs> so the idea that Carrie, and this is what I loved, that someone, ha- you have a relationship with someone who has invested so much more in it than you have. And and we got into this, del- I felt like I was, I was like catnip with the idea that for like two weeks, Carrie Bradshaw tried to write a rom-com because her With a rando. With a rando writer. (laughs) And that it was like she was half-assed in. Like, it just was not her thing. And the other one is holding her responsible for the lack of career. Right. Yeah. And just the idea that Carrie Bradshaw, you know, back in the Sex and the City days, had this little flirtation that we never saw (laughs) was really amazing for all of us. And I also just want to say, so Rachel and Michael, but, you know, Rachel actualized this Carrie with a K and the script was incredible. It was long. And as all of our scripts, as you've probably gleaned already, they go through so many different iterations and washes and rereads. At a certain point, it did shrink down, and Michael made the executive decision for the sake of brutal for a short period of time to pull out the whole Carrie uh, storyline. The Carrie with a K storyline. Carrie with a K. Ex Widowcon. Ex writing, writer's partner. And sometimes you do that. You pull out one, it's like modular furniture. What would this take it from 60 pages to 40? (laughs) Um, How does does the story still work? And we were all sad. We were all really sad about it because we had seen how funny that character was even before we had Rachel Dratch attached. It's like you pull something out. And then you just miss it so mm-hmm. much. And then you don't know how you're getting anything else out. But I sometimes call it like the matrix grid. You keep looking at the grid and the grid until it opens. And then you think, if I take that out, I can get Carrie with a K back. Because I just thought it was so funny. And I knew Sarah Jessica funny. would yeah. relish playing somebody who had ruined somebody's <laughs> life accidentally, who didn't even have a memory. She didn't even realize that she'd abandoned somebody. <laughs> and it's all leading to that sentence she says at the dinner at Naya's, which is, I have more baggage with Carrie with a K than I did with Aiden. And it's the first time she has said the word Aiden since and just like that. She has Mm -hmm. never even mentioned him up until now. And so what I love about writing and the writing process is how something that is purely fun really serves a giant piece of the puzzle gets moved. But that character, Carrie, 
more because she always leaves them wanting more. Rachel Dratch, <laughs> we were like, please play this. And she was like, are you kidding? Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll be on Sex in the City. Yeah, I'll I do mean, it. And, and everybody that attaches to the show who's been somebody who watched the other version of the show, Sex in the City, joins. And for the first day, they're like in shock. She kept yeah. going, like, I have a scene with Carrie Bradshaw. I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she's so I mean, skilled, and she's been doing it for so long that she l- survived the high altitude and just became and, Carrie with a K. Yeah. I mean, and we were geeking out over her, and she was, yeah. it was Fangirling over the show I in general. Just, that was actually— She's so funny. One of the best table reads ever. I've ever oh, been to in I, my life. I, <laughs> oh, it was I like second lightning. that. No, I've been saying that our writing room was like one of those serial killer where the right. FBI has a wall yes. where they're connecting all the characters with red yarn. Because our journey was to how do we get all these people connected? Now, Carrie originally was a Che friend. Carrie and Che were the birth of that relationship. Then Miranda sort of hijacked that Che story to go into their world. And then how do we get Che back to the original, which is Carrie, because we knew where we were going. And the reason we did, it was Carrie wanted Che's support because Che's so fearless, Che's so brave. And Che's funny. And funny. Or yeah. was funny. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and basically Carrie knew she was going to this sad thing, but Che would make her laugh about it. Not on stage, mm-hmm. but off stage. Che would be someone you would want to have with you if you were, they would pull down the, the, the all the importance around something and so you'd feel normal. So she calls Che and Che says, I'll do it for you. Which is fun too for us because it brings Che right out of their story. It starts their story out of the Miranda story. Well, it's a wonderful moment, too, of a character showing up for another. I mean, you do that a lot on this. Mm-hmm. Well, the, you can't really talk about the Chase story without talking about the beginning of the Chase story, which is the winter of the discontent, I would yep. say. The idea that we end episode five. five with them being dethroned from their dream, mm-hmm. where they no longer realize they're not going to get the TV pilot, and it's not winter, and we start... Uh, their character stuff in this episode, mid-depression. And here's Miranda trying to, as Che told her not to, don't Tony Robbins me out of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Miranda's trying to get Che to rejoin the world. Yep. Now, anybody who's ever been an artistic depressed moment knows that that's real to the person who lost the pilot, lost the script, it, lost the it's series. It's fired it's from the, the job. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's Whatever a, it is. It's a thing. You just don't want someone trivializing it. And when someone says, like, just get over it, it's it makes it feel like it's not a real problem that you have. It makes you feel like you're making a big deal out of nothing when you're not. The point is Che doesn't want to be in this state anyway. So that's where it gets combative with Miranda. Because if Che really wanted to wallow, they wouldn't be so defensive. Instead, they like see themselves and they hate the fact that they have let society topple them when they were supposed to be somebody who was making their own way. So when Miranda takes a couple of hits from Che in that first very long scene. And when we were in the writing room, we were like, <laughs> this scene has to do it because we've got mm-hmm. seven characters. So this scene from the writing point of view has to be so bad that the audience knows it's over, but they don't know it yet, which is the fun part of writing. Why do I get sullen, sad, sack Che and some random tit in Arizona gets all your smiles and all your charm? Because I'm not performing for you, Miranda. Is that the only part of me you want? Che Diaz, fuckboy and comic? Don't talk to me like that. So when Che finally says, I'm not performing for you, is that the only person you want? Che Diaz, fuckboy and comic. Yep. That's what people thought Che Diaz was the first season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Miranda was into it, too, because it was bigger than her and powerful. sexy, yeah. And then all of a sudden, Miranda whips around and says, I don't deserve that. And that's the first time 
in the Che-Miranda relationship that Miranda says, I'm not taking this. That's so relatable to, I think, anyone who's been in a relationship with someone who's charming, you know, when they're going through a hard time, they're not charming to you. And it's so hard not to take it personally when you're like, oh, you can be sweet and nice to everybody else. You can put on that show, but then you turn around and you bite my head off and like, that's not fair. So... Which you dramatize so beautifully with the cameos. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. again, keeping us current. Yeah. <laughs> I am current, Susan. I just want to go yeah. on the record. I am not sitting here. We are, I am we are not current. Si- I'm not sure current. we're current. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, an, I'm actually AI. That's how current I am. I'm not even here. I'm doing a cameo right now, okay? I'm making hundreds I am, of dollars. I am a chat. You know, bot. GPT. I I know the name. Chat GPS. Um, Anyway, the fact of the matter is, it it is really great because cameos are performative and they're fake. And that's all people want for their $27 is do Che Diaz. And mm, Che doesn't want to feel to do that at home in their house. So it's the split. It's the split. And then Che says the definitive thing to Carrie and she says nothing back, which is... It's, I better go. My mommy told me uh, I have to get out of the house this week. And Carrie says, your mommy, and they say Miranda. Yep. And that tells you. And that, that, then there's a nice long silence right there. And that's sort of like whenever we've talked about reducing someone to your mommy, it's never good on, on our, <laughs> not, in our brand. That's not sexy. I mean, it's, it's, it's the word mommy in, in the show as a love it partner. It doesn't belong in romantic so relationships. It, it goes yeah. from opposites attract to opposites repel. Yeah. Right. So, right. so uh, Che agrees out of their depression to go and support their friend, Carrie. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I just want to point out that Cynthia Nixon uh, directed this episode and had to direct herself through two, not one, but two breakups. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's a very big episode emotionally for Miranda. And to see Cynthia be able to step in front of the camera and then step out and watch it and then step back in and look at all of us and like, yeah. And we're like, yeah, mm-hmm. you are phenomenal at this. Yep. So let's let's just, just take a minute here in the moment and talk about the Miranda story. Yeah. Because the Miranda story starts in the Chase story, which is give me a cuddle. Mm-hmm. Let's cuddle. It's cold and I want to cuddle. Mm-hmm. And it was very important for us to say the next line that Che says, which is, come here. She says, come where? We both just came. Because yeah. we want to make sure that this, the, the relationship was not sexless because it was too evocative of the Steve relationship, which was sexless. So they were still having sex. It's just they weren't having intimacy. So the Miranda storyline is really the beginning of, uh, okay, this isn't going well. And it, it and we interface with Miranda's moved into um, Naya's, which was really fun mm-hmm. for us to find a way to, of course, connect the two of them with Red Yarn, which is Miranda doesn't have a place to live. Naya doesn't like living alone and has an extra room. And now we're going to have a dinner party. And the dinner party really brings three characters into Naya's world. Miranda... Charlotte, and Carrie. And the line, welcome to Brooklyn, is a casual throwaway, but a giant step for us. Because Naya's the homekeeper. Naya's the mother in a good way. Naya's making paella. Naya's playing jazz. And Naya's talking about her ex-relationship. It's a coffee shop scene, but in Naya's house. So, uh, Coffee what? shop, by the way, is a brand term for us, meaning whenever four <laughs> or three of the characters sit around a table and discuss 
life. The storylines. Yeah. So anyway, Naya starts talking about her relationship with Andre Rashad and how she's trying to have a good relationship. They had a bad breakup, so they're trying to have a good divorce. And that opens up the door to Miranda talking about the fact that Steve uh, couldn't even look at her. So she doesn't even know how she's going to— They can't even talk about divorce. They like can't the, even— The topic, mm-hmm. they're barely saying anything to each other. That she says, he looked at me like a whipped dog. Yep. But the important piece of information that we dropped, aside from the fact that Miranda's drinking non-alcoholic wine that tastes like warm grape Kool-Aid, important to keep that storyline going, yes. uh, is that um, Steve— He's going to have to bring it up. And Carrie does the friend thing and reveals that in season one of In Just Like That, in the room when they were painting, Stephen said he was never going to take off his wedding ring. A heartbreaking scene, by the way. A heartbreaking Mm -hmm. scene. And then Charlotte says, and it's almost the best laugh in in the script, is... In that scene is when she says, oh, that would be so romantic. And Miranda says, if it wasn't my life. (laughs) (laughs) And then Carrie tells her, you're going to have to open the topic. And I felt it's funny because it reminds me a little bit of the movie where Miranda had a secret that that she had said something to Big. And Carrie Mm -hmm. says, why didn't you tell me? And here she's saying, he said something to me months ago. It's interesting how friends hold on till the time-released moment. And she says, you're going to have to do it. And that brings up the idea that uh, Carrie has had this relationship with Aiden. And Naya says, very bizarrely in the writing, I might add, very unique way of writing a sentence, this is something I'm interested in. Naya says, this is something I'm interested in. It sounds like a professor. I love it. And then Carrie says, uh, we weren't like that. We, and then we find out he's divorced. He sold his company to West Elm. And... He lives Virginia. in Virginia. Yes. Yeah. So th- that mm-hmm. all that happens. And then uh, and so she we know says, we Google I'm not proud of myself. Right. The internet. <laughs> as we do, as one right. does. Google So the then X's. she goes mm-hmm. home and then she starts an email to him in the middle of the night but doesn't send it. There's another very important relationship moment in this episode, which is the proposal yes. from mm-hmm. our very own Seema to Carrie in the Apple store, she proposes Hamptons to her. Yes. It's, yes. It, it's, Propose a summer share. But that then leads to the the SEMA showing her the houses on the computer and don't send that. That's the email I don't want to send to Aiden. And she has that great line. SEMA has that great line. Oh, I have a bunch of those. They all end with a, they all end with a what, Rachel? A screenshot a, of my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> I believe... I believe that was a Sam Irby pitch. Yes. <laughs> Anytime it's money in an exit, Sam. Beautifully executed yes. by you. <laughs> but yeah, so then Carrie says, we're not like that. And then you see this this Hamptons house, which is their future. And it's very cute and very wonderful. So Carrie goes to bed after they find the perfect Hamptons house in the summer. And she wakes up to a phone call from Che saying, have you seen outside? Carrie sits up and looks out. And it's a blizzard slash heavy snowstorm. And Che says, it's going to be a bomb cyclone. Now, what I love about this is it's magical. When Carrie looks, it's like, you remember in New York, every now and then, before everybody was looking at their apps constantly to see what the weather tomorrow was, you would be surprised. You would wake up and it would be I'm in a like snow globe. A winter wonderland. Uh, it would be, yes. it would it's be, like childhood. And the first... Yeah, the first day, like snow day, it's yes. virginal and white. Yes. Yeah, just before it gets and, sullied. And it's unusually quiet because no one's moving. And it's just... And she looks out the window. And it's the magic of filmmaking that we can make it look like that. But but Che goes like, we don't have to go. And then we have this great plot twist that they the widows have been here all week. They've been at the Sheridan. So Also, she is not going to disappoint... Carrie, Carrie with a K. <laughs> yes. Because who who's said called you're her a flake? flake? And she says, I can't be a <laughs> exactly. snowflake. They agree they're going to go to this thing. Now, the other great thing about the snowstorm story-wise point of view is that Charlotte's story is all the stories are sort of peaking in the snowstorm. So before we get to how it affects Charlotte's snow day, let's talk about her story. We start with the excitement of Rock's ad, the the Ralph Lauren ad, and Anthony shows up with all of these papers. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's Christmas day for them to see this beautiful ad and it, it is for the first time I think, you know, 
we see that Charlotte is so excited to have something in common with Rock. Rock is the child who Mm -hmm. just came out their own being, not the mini-me that Lily was. So, you know, it's this exciting day for them as a family. And then out of the blue, Lily makes an announcement. Rachel, what's the big announcement? I'm going to lose my virginity. Lily's going to lose her virginity. Lily's going to lose her, yes. And it's shocking. It's shocking to everyone. And the reason is? Probably? Uh, Probably, as Anthony suggests, she's just not, you know, she's fading into the background of her family. (laughs) No one's paying any attention to her. She's too perfect. She's too perfect, yeah. (laughs) It's definitely that. I mean, Rock even says, is this what it feels like to be the good child? So I feel like that makes Lily be like, well, I guess I'm the bad kid now. I'm going to go lose my virginity. (laughs) (laughs) This is her rebellious stage. And the uh, fun of that is to see that complete pan to them, the three of them looking at her, and Charlotte takes the longest beat in the world and says, excuse me? (laughs) And this is what happens. And then she has that great scene afterwards where she goes in and Lily says, I don't want to talk about it. She says, well, since you made a public announcement, I feel like we should go a little bit deeper. But Charlotte sits in the chair opposite her And the thing that was so adamant in the writing room that people wanted to make sure, aside from everything else that a mother would say, is your own pleasure is is important. Don't let it be about him. Lily, I just really want you to focus on your pleasure just as much as his pleasure. It is important that you take care of your own needs. Mom, stop, stop. You have gone from sex positive to sex annoying. Which, of course, mortifies. Very modern. I, I will say that that was a friend of mine um, who, year before I even had kids, years and years ago, she, had, she was older, she had kids earlier, and she told me that that's what she was arming both of her daughters with the idea. And I, it took my breath away, really, that that was motherhood today. But so we, different from it's a complete, motherhood. And that's also a great example of how writing works. The idea is two years ago, somebody says something to you that you're thinking, that's so unique. And it just goes into a file in your head. And then years later, when we're talking about Lily, you go, well, what about this? And then the next beat of the story is today's the day, the snowstorm. His parents are trapped in Connecticut. This is the day. And Charlotte is stirring hot chocolate, and it gets louder as she's trying to be cooler. And then when Lily says goodbye, Charlotte steps to her, and she says, you're not trying to hug me, are you? And Charlotte says, no, it's just I stepped away from the stove because it was so hot. It's just she so wants to hug that kid as she leaves, and she doesn't. And then that funny Harry runner is, I don't want to know anything. I'm I'm turning deaf. So later that day, after Lily leaves, they're having a perfect idyllic family moment on a snow day. Harry, Charlotte, and and Rock are watching Edward Scissorhands. And all of a sudden, the phone rings, and it's Lily. He doesn't have any condoms. He's afraid his parent isn't as sex-forward as Charlotte. Go out, and can you go out and get me some? Now, here's the point. This is a line in the snow. I'm drawing a line in the snow. <laughs> it used to be the conversation was, is it Aiden? Is it big? Now it's going to be, as a mother, are you going to get your kid a condom or I don't want to know about that? Or get it yourself. <laughs> or <laughs> option three. Well, Charlotte, Since I reminded you right. you needed them and you poo-pooed me. Yes. But the fact of the matter is Charlotte says no. And then Lily says, we just Googled pulling out. Yes, and that's what gets her running out of the house, dropping the phone and out there. Yeah, so so then you cut out to Charlotte in the sort of realistic version of Edward Scissorhands, snowstorm flurry (laughs) all around her, going to a drugstore and begging a guy. Right, because at the end of the day, Charlotte would do anything for those kids. She would literally do anything. Also, Lily, so Lily wouldn't get pregnant, I think. Yes, (laughs) but that's also modern motherhood. We are more— Helicoptering. She's talking the talk. She's not just like, oh, I'm sex positive. She is out there in she the snow enabling. trying to get her daughter some condoms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then she can't. And then she calls Carrie, which is funny. <laughs> the end. And Carrie's in that amazing Montclair 
over uh, the top. Every now and it's then, like an the, opera coat. We need to down. We need to have a few minutes. Every about now that. and then, there's an outfit that you go, "That's completely ridiculous." And if it's not in the show, I'll be depressed. I mean, <laughs> last year it was her on the bridge throwing the ashes away in the Valentino. the hot oh my melon gosh. Valentino gown. In the movie, it was her with with Borishnikov waiting at home in that giant meal foy that she then wore in and just like that. And this year, the minute Molly and Danny showed me that, I was like, yes. I mean, it has a train. I, I went into that. I, I was in the um, costume department one day and I saw that outfit. It's not even a coat. It's a, a two-piece, you know, hoop skirt. And it's it's it was hanging on the rack and I couldn't. It took two hangers to hold it. I could not believe it was a real garment <laughs> and, like, couldn't wait to see her uh, and, and in here's, it. Here's the funny thing. We didn't have it. It didn't arrive in time. So we didn't know what Carrie was wearing to WidowCon. But there was a chance it was going to be this incredibly elaborate thing. So on the morning of WidowCon, when we got to the set, I was like, we have to create a coat check room. <laughs> they were like, what is it? We have to have a coat check room. Make a coat check room up. And you see Carrie in the snow with this giant thing, and she's coming out of the coat check room with a little check. <laughs> like, it's in there. Just in case we got it. it. It's in there, folks. We checked it. And then, uh, but that's amazing. Can you imagine working that coat room, <laughs> seeing this coat come at you? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's so, such a fancy. It's the best fantasy. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. A, it is a Dr. Zhivago-like moment. And the third, the third character in the snowstorm is LTW. So let's go back to her storyline. Now we always wanted to believe that LTW was a documentarian. From the minute it floated as a thought in season one, we've been slowly trying to dig in to make this as real as possible. This year we really had the time and space to deal with her film, which we know what her film is about. It's about three women who've been seminal in American history, African-American women. Uh, And so she is invited in this episode to present the film at a Black Filmmakers uh, Festival at MoMA. And of course, the Black Film Festival is whited out (laughs) (laughs) by a snowstorm. But she's determined to go. And again, in the theme of our dueling dreams between her and Herbert, he has begun his political campaign, which she helped to she launch. She launched. <laughs> <laughs> On a dare from her father. And uh, he's got a fundraiser. When they first have the crisis of confidence, when they're both doing the same thing, he gets a text, this is available, you're going to be there. And she says, no, that's the same day as my moment thing. And the reason I'm stopping to underline this is, Every now and then an actor does something so delightfully surprising that you never expect it. It's a turn that only they would do. And it's Nicole Ari Parker in this scene says this thing where she's getting up and he says, are you going to come to the event with me? And she goes, that's the same thing as my MoMA, that MoMA's honoring me as a documentary filmmaker. He says, oh, you're still doing that? And Nicole says the next line as though she's a valley girl. She goes, my career, yeah, I'm still doing that. And it, yeah, I'm still doing that. And I could not believe that she reframed yeah. the whole thing like, yeah, I'm just a dilettante in your eyes, right? I'm still yeah. doing it. It's, I mean, it's, it's so layered. It's, 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 it's yeah, so I mean, much. I don't know how that came out of her, but they have such a sense because of play. Because she also has been married. And so <laughs> even the most wonderful husband, occasionally the alpha male comes out and you have to kind of remind them, hey. But I mean, it's yeah. so, I mean, it's I live so, for those yeah. moments where suddenly no one else would ever do that. It's a crazy choice that's completely grounded in reality. But you, yeah, I'm still doing that. <laughs> yeah. So spontaneous. <laughs> anyway, so on the big day of the event, it's the bomb cyclone and her car cancels and he has something called a Tahoe, <laughs> which is apparently, Rachel, this is you. Is it Tahoe? Yes, my— Tell us about the my Tahoe. My husband's parents drive a Tahoe. It is a gigantic tank, and I actually drove it once this month for the first time, and it's very—it's like driving a giant spaceship through the streets. This is what I love about writing. Somebody just invents something, and then that person exists. Uh, Herbert says, Terry ordered me 
Tahoe. Who's Terry? Terry. What's a Tahoe? <laughs> but they're in the mix now. Like, I got to see Terry. If there's see. a next season, I got to see Terry obviously is together. He ordered him a Tahoe and he offers LTW a ride because, don't worry, it has heated seats. And she says, what? I'm not. Uh, I am not going to pass up being honored as a black filmmaker to have a warm fanny. And so, then just because we want summing her. Summing up the black female struggle. We want to show, <laughs> we want to show her drive to respect her film so much that we had to find a way to get her out in the snow first, on her own, in the peak wind. And he says, I'll give you a ride. She says, no, I'll get there on my own. He says, you do you. And she goes, oh, I will do me. And then there's the moment where she calculates, how am I going to get there in the snow and still be fabulous when I arrive? And so she decides to walk, which means her hair, otherwise known as her wig, has to go in a box. And it reminds me of my mother. She was doing a one-woman show and there was a so storm. And she called and she said, my dress is in the garment district, my hair is in Harlem, and my car is in Cairo. <laughs> so it's, I think it's a moment oh that resonates God. across the ages. And it was actually your idea, Michael, to have her, you wanted to see her in a very real light because LTW is quite perfect. Superhuman, uh, kind and of. Superhuman, yeah. and she is, mm -hmm. all those things. But you wanted to see her put that wig on. Uh, and it's, I it's want an to see important. it come off first. You want to see it come mm -hmm. off first and then see her put it on. I mean, on. By, by literally, by pulling the wig off, she becomes even stronger to me. Exactly. She becomes even and more perfect. So beautiful. And, you know, then you start thinking about, like, all the pieces that have to come together to make that next moment happen. Number one, Molly and Danny create this. I don't know, El Gaucho, some. Well, it's a beautiful Christian Dior um, from a few collections ago, Gaucho outfit with a, a fantastic cape. And, um, and, a, and a, a Diablo kind of hat and yes. a snood, a helmet around her yeah, head. Yeah, it was a South American then, inspired And then collection. I kept saying, and then we're looking at the wig boxes and I go, it's going to be a snowstorm. So everything will be black and white, but we want the audience to know since you don't see her put the hat in a wig, we don't see it go in a wig case, it has to stand out. So Molly's like, how about this hot pink one? Yes. And then it's just, no, black and white, black and white, 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 and a pink wig box. And then she goes to MoMA to that bathroom. Now, this and is then, another- And we actually shot at MoMA. We, we actually say, shot at MoMA, which is the Museum of Modern Art, which is a very important museum in New York City. We had to come at five in the morning just to get the MoMA bathroom. When you see her walk into that minimalist, gorgeous bathroom, and then watch her put herself together. or And then the audience has a, has a witness, which is another Black woman. She's putting her wig on, and an elderly Black woman who has clearly come to see her speak on this panel watches her put on the wig, and she looks at her and says, we're not going to let a little snow stop us, are we? And it says so much and about— And the woman says, oh, no, we oh, are no, not. Oh, no, we, we are, are not. not. Uh, and she's a very dignified lady. It's like this moment where she's kind of acknowledging the women who came before her who had to put in all of this hard work. And she's like, I'm not going to be someone who's not going to put in the hard work. I'm going to be here. You know, if she can make it out in the snowstorm, I can make it out in the snowstorm. And that's her whole thesis is, and then someone hopefully after me will make it out and in the snowstorm. You know, that do what will, they want to do. Well, and yeah. their snowstorm will be different. Yes. But it's, a, it's been a relay yes. race. And each right. generation yes. has brought things a step further. Yeah. And then you have the the beautiful um, forum, which is not well attended because everybody <laughs> didn't come because it looks everybody, like a toothless person because people people <laughs> didn't show up because they don't care that much. But enough showed up that it's even more important that, there, as she says, my father says, if two people show up, he's a playwright. You do the show. So there's like a smattering of people. And uh, she's talking about why it's important. And the speech is really pretty. And then her husband shows up for her, which he He's is, left his event early, yeah. he, and he's come to support and, her. you know, another example of what a beautiful relationship they have. So that's the beautiful sort of end. And it, it's interesting when you're writing stories, you you think, well, you need more. You don't need that much. And it used to be they walked out and they were talking. Thank you for coming. You you did it. Just the idea of him showing up 
is the whole show. So you don't need to, we didn't even film it because we knew it was powerful and also a little bit more finished. And so then you cut from this back to the Widowcon. So the gag with Widowcon is that Carrie thinks she's going to be the widow queen. And she's expecting a lot of sad sad women. Like she's going to read her sad heartfelt book. And as soon as Che and her arrive, they hear raucous laughter coming from the Sheridan conference ballroom. ballroom. <laughs> well, first it's, it's in first the, it's the merch. Yes. First the merch. Yeah, the first, first sign the that merch. things are not sad are merch t-shirts and a widow wand vibrator. So that's the the, the level that we're Which, entering. Which, by the way, don't try and buy it because we invented it. Well, and I do believe <laughs> you came up with so many incredible lines about the widow wand. You were like a joke machine for the widow wand. You could do a set on the, <laughs> on the widow oh, no, wand. Michael was the widow wand. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's right. And I own, I own all the rights to it. No, yes. look, look they're, they're, you know, once you get into editing, you have to move the show along. There are... 15 jokes about T-shirts. Oh, my husband died and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. He's dead, you're not. Coffee cups, et cetera. But eventually it was just like, get to the widow wand and then get mm. into that showroom. And they open the door and there on stage is the current speaker, Maddie, played by Julie White, the amazing actress, Julie White. Tony winner, been in everything. And she's the most, as we call her, the Don Rickles of death. <laughs> and Carrie's completely thrown, and she's standing there with Che, who's a stand-up comic, and she's out of her element because the audience is screaming laughing. And she finds out from her nemesis, Carrie with the K, you're following her. <laughs> the Which, worst, the kiss right. of death to follow someone who's hilarious. You never want to hear. the kiss of death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Carrie's in the wings with Che and dying a death. And Che says, well, the merch is funny. Here's a joke about the widow wand. And then right before Carrie goes on stage, Maddie says the joke. So Carrie goes out to a thunderous, she says, (laughs) I'm going to be the bomb cyclone. And she is. Yes, I love that line. She goes out and she starts to try to be funny and that's not her turf. And so she says, I'll just read. I thought that over time... My grief would shrink, that it wouldn't fill every inch of me like it had for so long. My sadness never shrank, but I grew and grew until I was so large, the grief just felt smaller. And then I realized it was time. You don't move on because you're ready to. You move on because you've outgrown who you used to be. Carrie finishes and gets a giant round of appreciative widow respect and relatability. And she comes off and uh, Maddie's in the audience and the joke, the joke Meister says, I loved your book. Sometimes you just need a nice cry. When we do something well, I think it's showing other sides of character. So I'm really happy that we had that moment for Julie to play because she can play everything. And then Che says to Carrie, I'm, it's time for me to move on. Only my ego died. Yeah. And it's it's another great example of the characters moving each other along. You know, Carrie gets a favor from Che, and then Carrie actually helps Che uh, come out of their own And just when you hole. think it's a happy ending, you go from this lovely scene where they have both moved on to Miranda sitting in her house alone when Steve comes in and is quite thrown that she's even there. And she's decided to use this opportunity the day after the bomb cyclone that night to gently ask him, how's the apartment search going? So what we have here is a much needed bomb to go off. And it's everything Steve has not said by being silent and hitting a speed bag and not saying anything. He lets it rip on Miranda. It starts because of the house. And anyone who's followed the journey of these two characters knows Miranda hated the house in Sex and the City when he wanted to move to Brooklyn. It was not in great shape. And he pitched all this 
stuff to her. I'll fix the floors. I'll fix the fireplace. I'll make it beautiful. And then he did with his craftsman, steady skill. He made that house into their home. And she's now saying to him innocently, when are you leaving our house? When are you getting your own place? And he goes, I'm not. She said, you said you wouldn't. He says, I lied. And in that moment, Steve was trying to be a good guy in therapy to the therapist. I'll be the good guy here. I'll be the hero. But since then, it's just been boiling. And he explodes about the woodwork and the floors and the fireplaces. And he lets out his primal anger at her and really... Yeah, it's a catharsis, right? I mean, I think... Do you think people will think it's too much? Personally, I no. don't. I think it, it. I think people will be very, very satisfied. A mean, lot of people, people will be cheering that, that the, the doormat finally exploded. They'll be very happy. Yeah. I think the interesting thing is it's very upsetting because Cynthia is so thrown and then immediately goes into this pierced cry and trying to get away from him. And he immediately comes to his senses and like, you well, can't. Well, he says, I mean, he really goes all the you way. You didn't want me. You says, didn't want Brady. The, yeah. He says the unsayable Sayable. thing. Yeah. He said the thing. Yes. That yeah. she doesn't want to own, that she mm-hmm. never wanted Brady. It was true. And now, of yeah. course, there's been an enormous amount of growth yeah. And she loves Brady more than anything, but he brings yeah. the old wound People up. hurt each other, you know, when, when they're hurt. hurt. He takes yeah. it, in a way, it is taking it too far. Yeah. It's true. Which is what we do. Sometimes you don't do. need to speak yeah. the truth, but that's what you do Yeah, in a, in a fight. I and don't think he's in do. control of it. No, he's not. It, it comes out. I'm not blaming yes. him. I'm yes. just saying. And, and then he instantly wants to. Begs her. Begs her not to leave and yeah. says, this isn't who we are. Yeah. And it's so interesting. It's such an interesting choice of phrase. This isn't who we are. This isn't who we are. Stay with me. You can't get on the subway crying. And then we took a big swing and thought, well, maybe they would at least lay down for a minute. And then she sees something shiny on the bedside table. And, and what is it? A condom wrapper from... His little sexcapades <laughs> with the Whole Foods. Girl, why don't you set up early? Ta- her turn to be. <laughs> she says a early in pissed. the scene before. She says, "I can't keep coming here and throwing out the or Whole Foods salads in your refrigerator." And so all of a sudden, she says, "What's this, Steve?" And he says, "It's not what it looks like, really, because it looks like you've been fucking somebody <laughs> in our bed." And that is what we really wanted. Yeah, we wanted everyone to have dimension. Like, and then she says the thing that the audience has been saying. He says, she says, you've been walking around here like a victim. And he says, I'm not a victim. That's your words, not mine. And that to me is the resurrection me speaking of to the Steve. audience. That's your words, not mine. He's been going around. He got in shape. Right. <laughs> he, he had sex with the whole food girl. Yeah. Well, it just shows you how much we're in Miranda's perspective, right? We're watching everything through her eyes. And it's a, I think it's just such a satisfying moment of, you know, seeing the whole picture, turning the turning the frame around and saying, well, oh, no, he's the, actually been doing, he's you know, not he's saint. been taking care of himself. He's not he's a saint. He's been upset, but he's also <laughs> yeah. taking care of himself. Miranda's so hard on herself. Like, all of, so much of her pain comes from her feeling like she did something wrong and, I don't I don't know necessarily that Steve I don't think he's like acting like a victim but I think that he doesn't want her to know that he moved on. He wants her to continue thinking that he's upset because it's it's He's upset. It's hurtful it, to him. Well, he him. is upset. He is, he is still upset. serving him. And what I love about the scene too is, you know, that speed bag was just hanging there. And I was sort oh, of Cynthia's yeah. eyes for this cuz she was in it and I was by the monitor and I was like Please hit the speed bag on your way out. <laughs> when you say, uh, don't worry about me, I'm not going to be crying on the subway. And I thought, please hit that speed bag in my mind, please. And the, I was telepathic and she just like, boom. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's so thrilling when an actor just goes, sees it yes, and so. goes for it. And it's a perfect moment of like, she's gone from crying. I'm not the punching bag. I'm punching the bag. Yep. I'm done. And then the ballsy move 
for us to go right into her next breakup in the next moment. Chase come home from WidowCon with a new perspective that they have to move on. And Miranda's like taking the, the message from the Naya scene, which is like, I'm trying to be friends with Andre Rashad. And she goes, I don't know how we got here, but this shit show, we should have we should have gotten out while we could still be friends. We still had a chance of being mm-hmm. friends. And Chase says, yeah, that's what I've been thinking about us. And Cynthia picks up that tangerine or that tangelo mm, or whatever that yeah, is, yeah, those that little, little cuties, that little whatever they're called. Clementine, yeah. Clementine, the little cuties. cuties yeah. And she just starts peeling it and listening and then says, oh. And, and Chase says, from where we are, it's not going to get any better. And that's really what we wanted to create mm-hmm. as a writing room. We wanted to get to them to the point where they could see that it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. Yeah, this isn't a match. And Miranda says, it's adult. a yeah. very typical Miranda thing. It's self-effacing to a point. Two breakups in a row, I'm killing it over here. That is so Miranda to me. And then you go out on that and then you come up on Carrie sitting at her desk with the the radioactive email. Uh, and she says, some relationships belong in the past and some don't. And we launch that not knowing what's coming next. But it really was an episode where we got to explore relationships from an ex point of view, the past, the present, the future, question mark. And just like that, this is the end of episode six, Bomb Cyclone. Thanks to Lisa, Susan, and Rachel. We'll be back next week to unpack episode seven of the series, February 14th. Spoiler alert. <laughs> what do you think February 14th is about? <laughs> Stream new episodes of And Just Like That Thursdays on Max. Listen to the podcast on Max and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And Just Like That, The Writer's Room is produced by Neon Hum Media for Max. At Neon Hum, Cher Morris is the executive producer. Joanna Clay is the lead producer. Sammy Allison is our head of production. Zoe Culkin is our associate producer. Sam Baer is our engineer. That's it for the show. Thank you for listening. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hack Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.